0: The politics of sound with Ian Carnegie. My visitor to the record shop this month is a Liberal Democrat, first elected to Parliament in 1997 as the MP for Carshalton and Wallington, a constituency he has represented for the past 22 years. During that time, he has held a host of prominent positions within the party and currently, possibly critically, the job of Lib Dem spokesperson for exiting the European Union. He is Tom Brake, MP, and we met up with him in his Westminster office 24 hours after the EU election results to discover what inspires him, both politically and musically, on this, The Politics of Sound. Am I right in sensing a slight spring in your step this morning?
1: Absolutely, and a a big smile. Uh, It's (laughs) not every day as a party that we go from one member of the European Parliament to 16. fantastic turnaround, the second largest share of the vote in the country, 20% of the vote. So, yeah, it's
0: been a fantastic 24 hours for the Lib Dems. Can I take you back on a bit of a nostalgia trip? Back to May 1997, Conservative government is being swept from power. Tony Blair is about to walk into Downing Street and Tom Brake is elected Member of Parliament for Carshalton and Wallington. What were your feelings at that moment and in the days that followed? The feeling was, first of all, one of,
1: of huge excitement, of course, but secondly, perhaps some apprehension because I had spent about seven years campaigning uh, flat out, so campaigning, holding down a full-time job For some of that period, being a local councillor and in the evenings at weekends, campaigning to get elected as the Member of Parliament. And then all of a sudden it happened. And I realised that really, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I had seen on Parliament, I had seen on TV, what I guess most people think Parliament is about. You see Members of Parliament sitting in the chamber. uh, They ask questions. There's a bit of yaboo at Prime Minister's question time. So I, I, I pictured myself sitting in the chamber for eight hours a day, five
0: days a week. Uh, that's not at all what it's about. Was this the, the realisation of a lifelong or at least long-held ambition for you?
1: It was in as far back as 1983. So in my last year, or in fact the last month or so at university, I decided I wanted to become a Member of Parliament and... In 1983, when I was about to graduate, the Prime Minister then was Margaret Thatcher, and she was someone who polarised the country quite dramatically. And I felt that you know I had a couple of options. Either I could be grumpy every time she came on television and, and shout and scream at her, wave my arms around, or I could get stuck in and try to do something about it and uh, campaign for a party which wanted to put forward an alternative view, much more liberal view, and looking at the the parties that uh, uh, were available or on offer for me, the Liberal Party, not just because of its uh, liberal views, but also because of its views on Europe and its environmental policies in particular, and also a pragmatic approach as opposed to a dogmatic approach to politics, is the party that I identified with and decided to campaign for, for that party, and that's what
0: I've been doing since 1983. So at this point, you would have been early 20s? Early 20s, yeah. Can you pinpoint a particular moment of political awakening? Two things spring to
1: mind. First of all, a very brief exchange Exchange I had with the president of France, who was then Valérie Giscard d'Estaing. I, I went to school in France, for, or did some of my schooling in France, and he came to the lycée that I was uh, at. And we had a very brief exchange as he was walking down towards the school and pupils were lined up, uh, I shouted out in French because I was I was fluent then, and just about fluent now. Uh, so what about the what about the sheep then? And he said in response, well the French sheep are doing very well. Uh, and I said, but in French still. But, but what about the English sheep? And at that point, he twigged that maybe he wasn't actually speaking to uh, to a French oh, student, but an English student. And that was people maybe wondering why am I talking about sheep. It was at a point where there was a dispute between uh, France and Britain over over sheep Very famous. exports, and the French uh, French farmers were setting fire to British lorries with with sheep in. Uh, so I think that was probably the first thing that I can point to as a, a political exchange on a really a hot topic. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, But then I guess the the second uh, driving force for me in politics was, as I've already mentioned, Margaret Thatcher. She was someone who uh, the way, for instance, she uh, shut down the coal mines really without putting anything in place to act as a safety net for those communities is something which I think has lived with us since. Uh, and in some ways could explain for instance the brexit vote if you if you look at the parallels between the parts of the country that had mines with sort of stable well-paid jobs for 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 men uh, taken out uh, and you map it with the areas that voted most strongly for brexit there's there's a degree of correlation there and i think that's because the investment wasn't made in those communities and that i'm afraid is down to margaret thatcher and the decisions she took and uh, uh, people, people may not well, people who, who didn't live through that won't remember that there were supporters of the miners' strike, for instance, all over the country with buckets, shaking buckets outside pubs and on street corners, and that was quite a disturbing political period for me, and uh, it really drove me to get
0: involved. You mention Brexit. The Liberal Democrats have clearly defined themselves in recent times as a, or maybe the stop Brexit party. But for you, having spent your formative years growing up in France, I sense that there may be a deeper personal aspect to all of this. Do you think that's true?
1: Yes, uh, th- th- there must be. The formative years, so from the age of 8 to 18, going to a uh, an international lycée, so with students from all over the world, but principally from different European Union countries. From obviously France, so the half of, half of the students in the in the lycée were French. The other half were were foreigners. But in the foreign contingent, there were Italians, Spanish, Swedish, Danish, uh, Dutch, and so on. That did give me a perhaps a slightly international perspective. A perspective that. We share so much in common with uh, our European friends that that is an area that I wanted to develop. Not, as uh, some people argue, that the Liberal Democrats are in favour of a United States of Europe. We're clearly not. Uh, Europe, I think, is strong because of the differences that that exist between the different European countries. However, there are areas of common ground, There there are areas of common policy uh, which I have in the years since
0: uh, come to to want to develop, moving to a slightly more musical theme back in twenty eleven and latterly, you were associated with an initiative called Rock the House. What was the thinking behind this, and indeed what was it
1: it's uh, an an initiative really that tries to to promote bands and promote um, sort of new new talent i can 't claim to have played a a major role in it. Um, music for me is something that is of of, of the time something that that um, music that counts for me is something that was significant at a point in time in my life and when we come on to. Uh, discuss the, uh, the the tracks or the the albums that i've nominated i will I will reinforce that point, but uh, rock the talent was about trying to identify within different parts of the country members of parliament identifying groups that they wanted to promote and and taking part in a uh, a nationwide parliamentary uh, sort of contest uh, in the way that for instance there are similar contests where members of parliament are seeking to promote the the best Kebab house in their constituency and, and run a, a national competition uh,
0: promoted by parliamentarians around that. That could be rock the house as well. It could indeed, yeah. <laughs> Do you still purchase physical music?
1: I more often would purchase or used to until fairly recently purchase music for other people. But now, with the advent of things like Spotify, that has almost completely gone out the window. Uh, the first, I mean, the last. Well, the, the first album I, I purchased, I think, was was secondhand uh, from my older sister's boyfriend, who I think was rather short of cash and offloaded some of his albums and some of his A great clothing thing to buy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Procol Haram, I think, was the, the the album which I, you know, I still enjoy to this day. But um, it's a long time now since I've purchased the more recent uh, version in terms of CD. But but we do have, and I still do rely on, on quite an extensive collection of CDs. Uh, Whilst my wife and and my children have moved on to Spotify, I guess I'm a bit of a Luddite. We're still relying on those uh,
0: shiny discs. Well, I'm sure you wouldn't think that. In a moment, you're going to be paying a visit To the Politics of Sound Virtual Record Shop to ultimately emerge, clutching three of your favourite albums. Will browsing through the albums at your leisure be a source of enjoyment? Absolutely, of course, of course. I think the moment has arrived. It's time for your visit to the Politics of Sound Virtual Record Shop. (laughs) So, Tom
1: Brake, did you enjoy your visit? I did, and uh, my first choice, uh, Plastic Bertrand, uh, I, I've delivered it, his name in my best
0: French, but he's Belgian. This is actually quite a departure for politics of sound guests, in that this is a single you're holding in your hand, not an album. It's Ça pour moi. Absolument, Ça plein pour moi, uh, uh,
1: absolutely- French plein pour moi. yeah, your French, your, your French or your Belgian is, is, is very good, <laughs> and... I suppose part of the reason I chose the track rather than the album is because, frankly, I don't know any other, any other his songs. Uh, but Saplan pour moi," um, first of all, for me, it's about me as a teenager in France, and that is a, a significant period of my life, a period that I look back on very, you know, with with, with warmth. Is it a nostalgic? Track? It's a, of course, of course, it's a very much a nostalgic track, but but also it's in some ways to act as an antidote to. Uh, the the arguments or the discussions that I used to have in France uh, with French friends about French pop music, in that uh, clearly as a uh, you know as a Brit as an Englishman uh, I didn't accept there was any French pop music that was worth okay. listening to. Uh, the, the the examples I could think of from Ange, which was their equivalent of Motorhead through to Mireille Mathieu, who would be the equivalent of, I'm not quite sure what, but something very, very lightweight. And Did you feel it was derivative, but not nearly as good? Well, I th- just felt that French music didn't really have anything going for it. And and Saplan Pour Moi was actually an exception to the rule, where uh, someone singing in French uh, had produce a song of, of, of international renown, because an international hit. Big hit. And with a big, you know, good, a good sort of punky sound to it, which, you know, which I,
0: which I enjoyed. Now, this is a record that divides people somewhat, uh, derided by some, but it also received fairly fulsome praise from Joe Strummer of The Clash, no less, who loved the direct approach of the simple harmonies and the energy of the song, which you've talked about, and described it as a really good punk record did the aesthetic of punk appeal to the young Tom Brake somewhat?
1: I'm afraid I think I was too conventional. So I think the aesthetics, the um, you know, the, the safety pins through the ear and through the nose, and that, I can't that, I'm afraid that. that was not for me. <laughs> and that, that Frenchly say, although we were allowed, for instance, to there was no uniform at our school, so you could choose choose what you want. I did occasionally go in with you know jeans with patches on but in practice I was never going to go in with a ripped t-shirt because most of the other kids in school were were in Levi's and and, and Wrangler sweatshirts so you no know, punk was a bit too out there for me
0: I don't know if you're aware uh, but there is something of a controversy surrounding this song in that the producer claimed that it was he and not Plastic Bertrand, maybe Mr Bertrand, his name wasn't Plastic, I don't think, but the producer claimed that it was he and not Plastic Bertrand that had sung on all the tracks on every album and even went as far as releasing his own version of Saplin Poumois in 2006 to prove the point. In the end, through a court case in 2010, it was established that indeed the producer had sung it and that Plastic Bertrand hadn't sung any of it. Doesn't well, upset you? That must be a terrible moment.
1: That, that well, uh, but I think the track is a great one. I mean, maybe it should be re- renamed ne Plan Papoumoir," you know, the, the, the counterpoint to, to that. But um, that, that hasn't destroyed the, um, you know, the the, the the nostalgia and the uh, the punchiness of that track. Uh, when i go uh, running occasionally not nearly as much as i would like to do well, you're well like known to for do. this
0: you've done some long runs
1: uh, i have done some long runs uh, that Saplan pour moi is exactly the sort of track you need to be uh, listening to when you're hitting the hill towards the end of a fairly long run and i will still do that even if uh, it wasn't plastic bertrand who, who was responsible
0: now for those who've never heard the song here's the politics of sound string quartet with a short reminder Now your second choice is fascinating in that it is an album, but could also be any number of albums in that it's a classic work that's been recorded countless times by many choirs and orchestras. It also sustains the French flavor of your selections thus far. What is it?
1: It's Foray's Requiem and the reason I have chosen it again is is partly nostalgia. As a family, uh, classical music of different, different types has always been uh, there in the background. So my parents uh, both would listen to very classical music um, from Beethoven, Brahms, Bach and so on. And for his requiem, we have a bit of a, a history in the sort of professional uh, pianist field in terms of uh, down my mother's side of the family including one family member who was taught by Rachmaninoff is our our claim to fame. And I associate Foray's Requiem in particular with my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who uh, enjoyed listening to it as well. So um, I wouldn't claim I'm uh, someone who can tell Foray's Requiem as sung by a a French group as opposed to an English group, but it, it, it sort of embodies for me a lot of family history. Uh, and some very sort of positive um, memories of uh, childhood with not only my
0: parents but uh, grandparents as well. The Requiem text has been set famously by many composers throughout the centuries, often, as in the case of Verdi, in fairly dramatic and sometimes even thunderous settings. But Foray's setting is altogether different. It's calm, meditative, and there's a sense of peace and consolation that I think most people feel that it communicates. Given the nature of your life as an MP, is it that serenity that particularly appeals to you?
1: It is. It's a way of uh, taking myself out of perhaps Brexit, for instance, which has pretty much dominated my life for the last couple of years, as it has for most people. And also, I would challenge anyone to listen to that and not, first of all, be displaced from where they were, sort of physically at the time they're listening to it, and also not to get very, very emotional listening to it. The music is so powerful and sort of really helps block out any other thoughts to concentrate on how powerful and emotional uh,
0: its content is. A personal question, possibly, but does it speak to you on a religious level?
1: No, it doesn't speak to me on a religious level. I'm not. I'm not religious. It speaks to me on an emotional level. It is something that is sort of time immemorial. I think it's something that, uh, you know, just as I'm, I'm listening to it now. My grandmother would have been listening to it. I'm confident that uh, in two hundred, three hundred years' time. Uh, my great-great-great-grandchildren will be listening to it and will be enjoying it and will be identifying with the emotions that are contained within it.
0: Its popularity maybe stems from the fact that it is loved by people of strong religious conviction and of none, as in yourself. But what also sets this piece apart is that it is said that the composer himself, Foray, had no clear religious beliefs Indeed, he was described by his own son as a sceptic, which at that time, when he wrote it, was something quite extraordinary. Maybe that's something within the piece.
1: Yeah, so the pieces to to connect have clearly got to be able to operate at at different levels and relate to different people. And yes, clearly people who, who are religious may find that religious connection, but people who want to identify emotionally or people who want to just Appreciate the the quality of the composition uh, will do so without that 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 religious uh, component and that's what i'm doing
0: is there a movement within it that you particularly like or is it the piece as a whole
1: I, it's the piece as a, as a whole uh, i'm not going to claim that I can I can identify uh, you know, w- with a particular movement in it, but it's just a, a general feeling and-, and sort of memories associated with it, uh, as well as the emotional sort of kick that I get out of listening to it.
0: What is it about Dark Side of the Moon that you think makes it so popular? I'm going to reveal that perhaps my musical
1: tastes haven't really developed in the last 30 years because all of the tracks that I've chosen, and this is no exception, date back to early early teens, late teens. And Dark Side of the Moon is I guess for a teenager with a bit of angst who doesn't you know, isn't quite as confident as they they could be. A little bit uncertain. Trying to come to terms with the world, perhaps the opposite sex. Um, sitting in your bedroom at home with your earphones on. Having just spent quite a lot of time studying something to do with maths or chemistry or physics, which is what I would have been doing. Were you looking
0: at the pyramid posters that, and stickers that came with it? That was... I. Th- I I had, had other
1: kinds of posters on my wall, actually, so... Um, Let's not go to that. We won't. we won't go there. You know, it's an experience that you can have. I've never taken drugs apart from smoking very unsuccessfully a couple of joints, which had no effect, but I think listening to Dark Side of the Moon is as close as you can get, I think, to having a, I assume, uh, a, a drug experience without actually taking them in terms of listening to him, just losing yourself in it.
0: The, The band themselves have often said that the album charts the pressures of life, whether they be concerning money, fear of others, fear of travel, fear of death fear of losing one's mind do you think that the timeless relevance of these concerns accounts for the album's appeal to some extent I hadn't
1: read into it all of the things that the Pink Floyd had, had said it it sought to embody I just enjoy it because it is clearly um, unique in terms of its, uh, its impact, hence as you said the, the seventh Uh, a larger-selling album. It's not repetitive. It's something that you can immediately identify as being Pink Floyd and only, only Pink Floyd. And it brings back memories that I can associate sort of events with, people with, in a way that probably any other music from that period...
0: They were raising issues in it, particularly regarding mental illness which now, thankfully, have come to the mm. fore, but at the time, to even raise those sorts of yeah. issues was something quite brave, I think.
1: I, I very welcome the fact that nowadays those sorts of issues are ones that people can talk about very openly in yeah. a way that, as a teenager, you, know, you wouldn't have given much shrift, I'm afraid, to, to, to that issue or to people who were suffering from, from mental
0: illness. It makes a remark and a statement about society in 1973 and, indeed, for many years afterwards, possibly... You would have been around 10 years old when this album was released. So, am I right to assume that you came to it slightly later than that?
1: Yep, I definitely wasn't listening to this as a 10 year old. Um, probably 14, 15 would have been the, the time, uh, along with uh, the other big, big names of the day, I guess. Uh, perhaps less, with, with less musical merits. Uh, Genesis, I think. So, you've been listening to, I've been listening to Pink Floyd, uh, Genesis. Were you a Pink Floyd fan? Yeah, I would say it was Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd fan. I did see them live um, in near Lisbon, would you believe, on what was appeared to be a, a warehouse in a building site. But it was it was pretty enjoyable nonetheless. And when was this? Well, my parents lived in near Lisbon between 1980 and 1990. And I reckon this was probably when I was a student. So it must have been something like 1982, 83, I would guess. something Something like that. And it was the full works, the last It was with the the pig, you know,
0: the inflatable pig. Do you think that your political views have been influenced by music in any way, or possibly vice versa?
1: I can't make any connection between between the two. I suppose the closest my you know Bruce Springsteen which I do enjoy when I was thinking of what what album then perhaps the greatest hits that that might have been an an alternative that is clearly is more uh, more political but I'm someone who who listens to the music but not necessarily the words so the you know it, it may be the uh, Is the rhythm rather than the, uh, the the context that I'm picking up. So I may I'm afraid in the way that I, I miss Pink Floyd's focus on mental health. It may well be that other uh, more political uh, musicians or, or composers I have I've missed that political element to it.
0: Before we finish, there has been generous media coverage of the leadership contest currently playing out within the Conservative Party. You may be aware of it. Yet there is also another leadership contest going on concerning the leadership of your own party following the imminent resignation of Sir Vince Cable. Now, the names of a number of your colleagues have been touted in the press as possible contenders, but nowhere do I see the mention of the name Tom Brake. Is it time for you to finally lead the party that you've served so loyally for so long? No, it's not.
1: Time for me to lead the party. And I have made that clear that as the party's Brexit spokesman, I have my hands rather full at the moment. As a Member of Parliament who represents a constituency where my majority has never quite been comfortable, in the heady days of 2010, I got the majority up to 5,000, which doesn't really constitute a a comfortable majority Uh, but otherwise it's it's bumped along at 1500 or 2000 and in those circumstances there's a real risk to becoming a party leader uh, where you inevitably need to spend far more time uh, going around the country promoting the party than you do in the constituency and I'm convinced that it's that constituency focus that has enabled me to you know, weather what have been some pretty tough storms for the Liberal Democrats, uh, certainly in 2015 and 2017 elections. And if I'd not had the focus on the constituency, you wouldn't be interviewing me as the Member of Parliament for Carshot and Wellington. But you've remained in post for 22 years. And indeed, I'm the longest serving Lib Dem. Tom Brake, thank you very much. Thank you, Im.
0: The politics of sound. My thanks to Tom Brake and all his staff for making us so welcome. On the next episode, my guest will be Labour politician and musician Kevin Brennan, MP, Shadow Minister for Arts and Heritage, who will be paying his own visit to the Politics of Sound record shop. I wonder what his album choices will be. We'll see you next time on the Politics of Sound.